Chapter 17 Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, in Ephesdemon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, and left the sheep with a keeper, and took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines, and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine, and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption, and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. 
And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. From the Valley of Elah, a booming voice reached their ears. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Goliath was a defiant and boastful guy, and his trash-talking would only get worse. Where did his boasting come from? Well, I think it's obvious, from his sheer physical dominance in single combat. I mean, he was nine feet tall. Secondly, from his armor, not only all the defensive armor, but he also had a spear, a sword, and his javelin was made completely of bronze, a stronger metal than iron that could pierce shields and armor. And thirdly, from his experience, find out in verse 33, he was a man of war from his youth. So I wonder, when we read in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I wonder who among the Israelites would have been the most afraid. Well, of course, one of them was Saul. He's the one named here. And I've got to think, Saul, he afraid? I mean, this was the Saul that was known for his stature and his strength. It says in 1 Samuel 9, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome and from his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. He was the best looking, the tallest, but of course, someone taller always comes along. And Saul wasn't the only one who was afraid. That description in verse 11, all Israel greatly afraid, that has to include Saul's most valiant men. It actually says in chapter 14, that whenever Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. So before entering Saul's army, these guys were the local champions of their towns. When a bandit came or a criminal was on the loose, they were the ones who saved the day. They were the avengers, the ones most confident, most valiant, and therefore the ones most afraid when someone stronger and better came along. So it turns out the source of confidence and the source of dismay is the same. 
whether it's height, strength, sword, or spear. And we've got to ask, what do people take confidence in these days? I think it's still being tall, but also being skinny, being fit, being chiseled or swole. I think people take confidence in the height of their GPA, their resume, or the name brand companies they get to work for. The number of followers they have, the people, number of people who come to them asking for help, being the one who people always gravitate around. And of course, people take confidence in the height of their checking accounts and the car, the clothes, and the gadgets, or the house that that money can buy. But ironically, these sources of confidence become their very sources of insecurity and inadequacy. And that's the limitation of human confidence and courage. You feel quite brave or confident or secure as long as you don't meet your match. But when someone is better at your thing, you feel instantly puny. You feel like hiding and suddenly that confidence is gone. And so these valiant soldiers, they were all braver than most, but now we see their bravery was not really bravery at all. It was merely a favorable comparison of their own strength versus the next guys for the moment. Saul was fine as long as he was the tallest before a nine-footer came along. There's always someone who can pop your bubble, always someone who can call your bluff, who can outwit, outcharm, outshine you. And so you live in fear of that day, just hoping you won't ever meet a Goliath. This is the misery of life depending on your own strength. So David arrives on the scene, and he witnesses something quite strange. It says, starting in verse 20, David arose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So it's a strange scene, right? These men lining up for battle, shouting the war cry. Then Goliath comes out, speaks the same words as before, defying Israel and its God. And the men of Israel flee from him and were much afraid. And this goes on for 40 days. It says in verse 16, For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And so David arrives on day 41, and his response is, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David sees the situation with shocking simplicity. And we got to ask, how is his response so different? Well, I think one, he was but a youth. When David speaks with King Saul a little later, David says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Basically, I'll fight this guy. And Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. Saul and the older men, in a sense, they knew too much. They knew too much about javelins, shields, and impenetrable armor. So God calls in a boy from the field, a tender of sheep, and he's unfazed by the giant's size, his equipment, and his experience, unimpressed, only as a youth can be. And perhaps this is part of what Jesus meant when he said that we must become like children, in Matthew 18. But this childlike simplicity of David's, you know, it was more than just youthful naivete. He wasn't just someone who didn't know any better or just unimpressible. It was that he was more impressed by God. It was like God was so much more real to David than to everyone else in Israel's ranks. Did you hear what that guy just said? He just dissed God. 
And I think to David, it would not have mattered if the giant was nine feet tall or 19 feet. He just defied God, and so it's over for him. If no one's going to fight him, I will. Someone has to show everyone here that God is real, and he's going to take this guy down. So another way to explain the difference between David and the rest of Israel was there was a spiritual dimension to this battle that no one else seemed to see except David. Goliath, he's confident, he's boastful in how big he was. The Israelites, dismayed and terrified, both sides seeing the same thing, just height and spear, and that one side's going to win, the other side's going to lose. But David sees something far more serious. Again, something he's much more impressed by, which was God and his honor. Our God, the living God, and his armies being defied by this uncircumcised Philistine. Let me ask, what are you more impressed by? You know, we're living in a similar situation today. Like the entire Israelite army trembling, immobile for 40 days, Christians today are living day in and day out, going on 39 days, 40 days, intimidated by the Goliaths of our day defying God. Today's Goliath is not a nine-foot giant threatening your life. It's a 900-foot skyscraper. It's the sensuality depicted on 40-foot billboards and on all our screens. It's money and sex, riches and pleasure. It's leisure and, and entertainment. It's what we swipe and scroll and get fed by the ad-driven algorithms of the attention economy in which we are the consumer and the consumed. And all of these say, this is reality. This is life. There is no God. There's just money and pleasure and entertainment. And it's not an argument against God that anyone is articulating. It's just on display everywhere, dominating the landscape and our minds with sheer saturation. In his book, Faith for Exiles, David Kinnaman reports the typical young person spends nearly 20 times more hours per year using screen-driven media than taking in spiritual content. So today's Goliath. He dominates the no-man's land of the public sphere and of our minds, our attention silently undermining all other visions of life. In other words, today's Goliath is something more like the materialistic and sensual consensus of our culture that's impossible to defy. And to enter into this space with a word about the true God, about ultimate human destiny, about sin and salvation, that's like walking into some dreaded no man's land. That's our Goliath. That's our battle. In Ephesians 6, Apostle Paul describes our battle. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So notice in verse 12, Apostle Paul, he's spelling out who we're battling against. But it's not a physical Goliath. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, our battle is not against any person or people. No, our battle is against the voices of Goliath, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the world system we live in that saturates our society, silently shouting out, this is real. This is all that matters. You only live once, so you do you. Don't worry about God, eternity, or other people. This is real. The immediate, the trending, the entertaining. These voices that shout people down so no one dares to live otherwise. So what's at stake in this spiritual battle we're in today? The same thing at stake for David. 
for David. You hear it in his speech as he's about to fight Goliath. It's a long speech, but he starts to crescendo around verse 46. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. In other words, for David, it was all about letting people know that God is real. Either this Philistine is right, defying God, or there is a God, and I'm going to set the record straight. People have to know. And it's the same thing that's at stake for us in our battle today, that all the earth may know. This is a great commission. It's what Jesus commanded us. Go, make disciples of all nations. As the old song says, Go, go into the world, tell them I'm alive. To enter the battlefield is to preach and to live the gospel. The good news that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who sent his son to be with them, to sacrifice himself for them, that there's forgiveness and life with God that does not end at the grave for those who trust him. That's what's at stake, guys. People's souls, the eternal destinies, of your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. So don't be intimidated. Don't run and flee at the voices of Goliath that shout and taunt in different seasons of life, that broadcast that there's a normal way to live that honors the values of our world, and if you deviate from that, you're a deviant. When you're a student, that voice, it says, I want you to be passionate about, not Jesus, but about your career. You know, you have to sit back down and study and build up for your future. In the post-college years, that voice says something like, well, now this is a time to establish your career. Look at the people around you getting ahead, getting ready for marriage. You don't want to be left behind. And when you get married, then the voice becomes, now focus on your family. Let that be your main ministry. And then you become a parent. And the voice says, well, now you need to prepare your children for the future. Send them off to good colleges. And then in midlife, the voice says, save up for retirement. And then your health starts to decline. And the voice says, now take it easy. And don't push yourself too much. And then, lying on your deathbed, you realize, I've lived my life just cowering in fear, being dismayed and afraid of the voices of Goliath all my life. I just got to death safely, and I never lived a day daring to trust in the name of the Lord. Don't let the voices of our world system take you out of the battle. Don't be impressed by the world system that says only this world is real. Be more impressed by God. Proclaim Jesus to a world that needs to know there is a God, there is judgment, and there is forgiveness and eternal life in the gospel. For your sake and for the sake of the many who still need to know there is a God who saves. How did David face Goliath? It says in verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So away from and prior to the battlefield, 
David put himself in situations where he had to trust God. First it was a lion, and then it was a bear, and I'm not sure which one was easier or more scary. But he looked to God in each instance as he tried to be a faithful keeper of sheep, and he experienced the Lord delivering him. And so with Goliath, he's just the next challenge, the next opportunity to experience God delivering him as he courageously chose to honor God. So in other words, David remembered God's faithfulness in the past to help him trust God for the future. You know, as you come up against the Goliaths in your life, recall the stories of God proving faithful when you took risks for him in the past. And if you don't have any such stories, start today, this summer. Start small. I remember the first time I had to preach a sermon with almost no preparation in Mexico on a mission trip when the local pastor asked me to speak at his church. I had never done that before. But I had shared my testimony before. I'd done a lot of DT sharings. And earlier that year, I had a chance to give Sunday messages for the first time with a lot of preparation. God was with me in all those steps. And I knew he'd be with me again at this church in Mexico. And I, th- I felt I could do this. You know, the vast majority of Christians in America have never shared the gospel with anyone. Now, if you've memorized the gospel acrostic from Dare to Share or had a spiritual conversation with anyone, you're in the upper echelons of Christendom in America. So congratulations. So start small. Cultivate a relationship with God where you're taking risks and taking those steps of obedience to make him known. What else enabled David to face Goliath? In verse 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. It's really interesting why he took five smooth stones. Like, why five? If it was me, I think I would have picked up ten, maybe twenty if I could fit. But not David. I think he must have known that he could get off maybe two or three shots max, given the distance and Goliath's speed heading towards him. And if he missed, it would be over. He didn't want to get weighed down by more than he needed. In other words, he was more skilled than people thought. He knew what he was doing. And that's the thing. David was equipped. He was a well-trained young man. So how about you? What are your five smooth stones that you can use to defeat the Goliaths in your day? You know, the basic familiar things, the go-to things with which you will need to face the spiritual battle all around you, the spiritual battle for your soul, and the soul of your generation for your campus, what will you enter that space with? Some of the five smooth stones are going to be unique to you, but some of them are the same for every Christian. Apostle Paul, back in Ephesians 6, he said, put on the full armor of God. And then he starts to list off the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, gospel shoes, but most importantly, he lists word and prayer. The sword of the Spirit, that's what he uses to describe the word of God. And prayer, he says, pray at all times for all people. Hold on to God's word. Study God's word and pray. Pray for strength. Pray for courage, guidance, and wisdom and for spiritual power to stand against the dark forces. So, what will enable you to face your Goliaths tomorrow? Take steps to trust God today and train yourselves. Get equipped with your five smooth stones.